Good morning, my beloved brothers and sisters. It is a good morning, isn't it? This is the day which the Lord hath made. What a beautiful hymn we sang. It's about what we're going to talk about. It's about the transfiguration. Because as Solomon wisely said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so God understood that we need a vision to keep us from perishing. And so while we have not seen this vision, we have been told about it so that we can almost imagine it in our own eyes. But no matter what we imagine, it's going to be better than what we ever saw. But the point is that God realizes that we need a vision for us to see Jesus. And so we had read for us Matthew chapter 17 of the first nine verses. <clears throat> and of course, you knew the story well already, and it was good that we have it read to refresh our minds. But it was a marvelous experience for those three men. Now, isn't it interesting that only three of 12 apostles saw this vision, the transfiguration. Jesus chose three people to come with him up into the mount and to see this vision of the future. And so after they were coming down the mount, Jesus said to them, tell the vision to no man until, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so they were truthful and they were true, true to that and they didn't. But then once he was risen from the dead, then they could talk about it. And you can be sure that all three did, but only Peter records what happened there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses again which you're familiar with. And Peter, talking about the transfiguration, says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And we heard the voice which came from heaven, when we were with him in the holy mount. And so we have the prophetic confirmed, the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So Peter now is free to talk about it and we're thankful that he did. He's sharing with us through inspiration the experiences that he had on that mount time so long ago. Now you and I have not seen the transfiguration. Not even the other apostles saw it. God only chose three to see this. But the point is we don't have to see it to believe it. We can benefit from the words of those who did see it. And Peter says, we are not follow, follow, following cunningly devised fables when you believe it. This is real. This happened. And I'm telling you about it. Now, the fact that we've not seen it does not mean that it's still real. I mean, the things which they saw, we will see in the kingdom. We'll see that and even more. So it's wonderful that we can have a vision of our own to help us see Jesus now. So that when he comes, we really will see him in all his glory. These three experienced this and no one else. But all of us are the beneficiaries 
of them having seen it. <coughs> now, Paul had an experience. Again, you know all about it, but we'd like to just stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance because he's just going to describe what happened to him. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, words you're familiar with, beginning at verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. <laughs> you know, he's right about that. We have, none of us have any right to boast. He, he had more right than anyone else, but of course, he still, still well, it was the right thing to do. He said, I will come to vision and revelations of the Lord. <clears throat> he said, I want to tell you what happened. <clears throat> I know a man in Christ about over 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows such an one caught up into the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So, so this, what he saw was so marvelous, you can't even talk about it. You can't, it's beyond description. So again, Paul is being led in on a vision of the coming kingdom. And again, only Paul saw this. No one else was with him. None of the other followers of Jesus at that time witnessed this. So God has chosen a few special people to see a vision, but then he wisely has inspired them to write about it so that we, in a sense, get to see it through their eyes. Not as good as what they saw, of course, but enough to know that we're not following, following cunningly devised fables of when we did this. Now, as a result of this wonderful experience which Paul had, God, God felt he had to keep him in line. <clears throat> Now, I guess God thought, and God knows, of course, that having had this marvelous vision, <clears throat> he might get the big head. He, he, it, might, it might affect the way he acted. And so he says, I have to humble him to keep this from happening. And so as a result of this, God, in his wisdom, sent Paul a thorn in the flesh, something to buffet him, something to keep him humble. <laughs> And I can tell you, and you all can experience this too, as you get older, God does give us things that keeps us humble. <laughs> we, 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 we feel humbled by some of our, the infirmities uh, which we have to experience as we grow older and prepare to fall asleep if Christ doesn't come soon. So Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And I know a lot of people know what, exactly what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm glad you know. <laughs> and whatever you think it was, that's okay. <laughs> but he just called it a thorn in the flesh. The thing we do know is he didn't like it. <laughs> and you don't like them either. I mean, thorns hurt. If, if you had a thorn that was always sticking you, I mean, that's painful. And you wouldn't like it. And Paul didn't like it. And so he asked God to take it away. And God said, no. You know, God always answers your prayers. He doesn't always answer them the way you want him to answer them, but he always answers them the way that's best for you. And so God said no to Paul because he wanted him to keep this, this, uh, this thorn which he had. And so he wrote about this, and he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn of the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. And I'm sure Paul thought, you know, I don't need this, God. I'll be all right without it. See, but God felt he did need it. And, and this is a comfort for us. 
because we have in problems, we have infirmities, we, we have health problems that keep us from doing what we want to do. And go where we want to do, oh, some, some have become totally lame, some, some are blind, some are deaf. Uh, God knows what condition you're in and, and it's right for you or you wouldn't have it. And we have to get the attitude that Paul had and accept what God sends in our life because he loves us. He's preparing us for bigger and better things. And when you can't walk well, then you think of those times coming when you could leap like an unharmed deer. As our brother Stephen talks about Elijah running before the horses. <clears throat> and none of us could keep up with a horse. But the, the time is coming. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 43. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that's not now for me. <laughs> but the time is coming when I can run again, when I will walk without fainting. And so God in his loving mercy sends you a problem that he wants you to have to help you get into the kingdom. Believe me, it's worth it. Whatever little problem you might have health-wise or any otherwise, you, you couldn't have it if God had not allowed it to come into your life. And so Paul, talking about his, says, concerning this thorn in the flesh he had, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And three times God said, no. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, as a result of that, he took the attitude that we all have to adopt. And he says, therefore, most gladly I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities. Do you? Do you have a problem? Do you take pleasure in it? Paul did. I take pleasure in reproaches. Do you like it when somebody reproaches you? Oh, I don't. I like people to like me. But we don't all. Not everybody likes everybody. You know that's true. When you travel around a bit, you find it out, too. Some people come right up and tell you what they think of you. <laughs> and they're speaking from their heart, and it, it might hurt, but sometimes maybe that's what you need to hear. So, so we, we mustn't wear our feelings on our sleeves. We, if we're reproached, we, we accept it. And we oh, I listen too, because it might maybe I take pleasure in persecution. You don't want to be persecuted? Of course not. Paul says, I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in being distressed for Christ's sake. <laughs> For when I am weak, then am I strong. So we should be very strong because we're all so very weak. The question is, do we do that? Do we thank God for our troubles? Do you actually thank God when you're having a problem? It's not normal. The world doesn't do it. But we're not part of the world. We have to react differently. Paul is teaching us here. Jesus looked at the reproaches that fell upon him. And he never complained about them. Because a loving Heavenly Father is preparing us for his kingdom. And if you want to see Jesus then, then we have to learn how to take the problems that he allows to have in our life right now. And even nature tells us this. No pressure, no diamonds. No fire, 
No pure gold. No trials and troubles for you and me. No kingdom. So therefore, we take pleasure in these things which the world thinks are calamities. And they're not. I remember when I was so very sick and I was really suffering, I hurt everywhere. <laughs> I'd had both legs operated on and my chest opened up. And uh, everywhere I was, everything about me hurt. And I'm lying there in bed in the middle of the night because you can't sleep, you know. They keep, they keep waking you up to see if you are asleep, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept... I had one verse that kept going over in my mind over and over again. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And none of us have ever suffered anything like what Jesus suffered. And if the father of Jesus, his heavenly father, who had a special relationship with his son, closer than any relationship we've ever had with anyone, felt that his son needed to suffer, to learn obedience. <laughs> Why should we think that we shouldn't have the problems we have? Our problems are pretty small compared to what Jesus went through. And the good news is you can take it. Because if you couldn't take it, you wouldn't have it. So that's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And you and I can too. And sometimes we think, am I really up to this? It's just, a, can, I, can I handle this one? Is this bigger than me? And the answer is, it isn't. You're bigger than any problem you have ever faced or ever will face. Because if you're facing it, God knows you have what it takes to overcome it. And so that should be comforting to us as we go through our lives with this, the little things that happen to us. And so let's don't complain about our problems. Let's accept them as a gift from God because he's trying to help us get into the kingdom. And what a great future we have. Now, we, we see things that the world does not see around us. Those who saw Jesus in, in the flesh at the transfiguration saw more than any of us have seen. Paul saw more than any of us have seen. And yet there were some who actually did see Jesus and turned away from him. They did not believe in him, though they saw him. Though they saw the miracles. You wonder how hard a heart can get. But their hearts were pretty hard. He told them a little story. You know the story. Again, rich man and Lazarus, we call it. It was a parable. We know it was a parable. Because the dead don't speak. And, and, he, and it's easy to prove that that's a parable. And uh, when you're talking to people who believe in heaven going, you make that point. And they, they say, no, it wasn't. But... Uh, if it's literal, then everything about it is literal. If it's literal, that means the people up in heaven can see the people down in hell burning. And I, I, that's not a very happy thing to see. So you know it was a parable. But he told them the parable so that the, the bottom line was though one rose from the dead, they won't believe. And what happened? It's the only parable he ever told where he gave a, a person in the parable a name. And then he goes out and raises from the dead a person with that very same name, Lazarus. And they saw it. And they saw him come out of the grave, out of the tomb with all these grave clothes. And he was alive. We got to kill that man for doing that. <clears throat> and we also got to get rid of Lazarus because he's proof that he raised Lazarus so we'll come both. I mean, they were not touched in any way by the wonderful things they saw. So you and I have to be touched by much less than that. 
Jesus was touched with the feeling of our infirmities for us. And when you have an infirmity, accept it as a loving father, allowing it to happen in your life so that you can get into the kingdom. Our classes are entitled, We Would See Jesus. And the more we see of him, the more we can take. We can handle it. We can, we can get through this because he overcame and we can too. We often hear Paul quote those words. And he, as he quotes them, he says, is, 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 as it is written. So Paul wasn't thinking up these, this idea himself. He was quoting. And he says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither near a heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. I mean, your, your eye cannot see it. Your ear has never heard it. You can't even conceive it. It's, going to be, it's so wonderful that Paul, uh, he said, can you express it? The, the, the ones who saw the transfiguration, <clears throat> they told him what happened, but they, they didn't see what they saw. And so your eyes never seen it, your ears never heard it, you can't imagine it, and yet God has prepared it for you. But you see, Paul didn't think up, think up those words. He was, he was quoting from Isaiah. But I think before we quote Isaiah, we ought to read the next verse. So often we read uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. That's going to be wonderful, and you're right. And the next verse begins with but. <laughs> and I think we should always read the next verse when we're reading a verse. Don't lift that verse out of context. But, verse 10 says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. And so while I, our eye has never seen it and our ear has never heard it and we can't even imagine it, we do have revealed to us in scripture things that can help us see Jesus. That's the whole point of all this, is to see Jesus in all these inspired words which God has written for our learning. And so he was quoting from Isaiah. Chapter 64, verse 4. I mean, Paul says, as it is written, and this is what Isaiah wrote. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the ear I, I seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. So, as we read the Bible, we can, to a degree, help the kingdom come alive in our own mind. Because you see, where there is no vision, the people perish. And the more we understand, and the more we read of the Bible, the more information we get that can help us to have our own vision of the kingdom. And so that's what we want to do. Where there's no vision, the people perish. So we each one of us need to get a personal vision of what we think the kingdom will be like. And it doesn't have to be the same as someone else's. Uh, we can just let your imagination soar as you imagine how wonderful it's going to be to see Jesus in the kingdom, to see Jerusalem, to, to see the temple, to see the lambs and the, and the lions grazing together, all these wonderful things which we're told about. Because, you see, as we see that, we can take what's happening now. And that's what, that's what Scripture tells us Jesus did. As a mortal, he had never seen these things. He saw more than any of us have ever seen. But he was not experiencing immortality because he had a mortal flesh just like we are. And so we're told that what did he do as he hung on the cross? 
Well, the most cruel death they say you can inflict on a human being is crucifixion. It, it's a terrible cruel death. But Hebrews tells us what he was doing as he hung on the cross. And he wasn't thinking about how much it hurt. And the pain must have been unbearable. But it wasn't unbearable. He did bear it. And he said, we should look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, this is the point, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So as Jesus hung on that cross in terrible agony, his mind was not thinking about how much it hurt. His mind was thinking of the joy that was set before him. He was thinking kingdom as he died. And when we're suffering, you, your body may be suffering, but your mind can actually soar to great heights. And certainly when you are sick, you really do want the kingdom more. I was so sick once, I was afraid I was going to die, and then I was afraid I wouldn't. <laughs> so we know that Job uh, longed for death. And, you know, death isn't too bad for the one going, because the next moment they're with Christ. But the point is, we're not going to go till God's through with us. And so if you're still around, God's got something more for you to do. Now find out what it is and get busy doing it. Don't turn God down. When the opportunity has come for you to serve in whatever way it might be, say yes. We, there's no use us saving ourselves for something else. We're, we're trying to get into the kingdom. And, and you don't need to protect this body to do that. You don't do anything silly. You don't jump out of that tall building or something. A fellow jumped out of a tall building that one, you know, <clears throat> as he was going down, he says, as he passed the 40th floor, the 35th floor, so far so good, so far so good. <laughs> and so, so, some people, because they haven't splat yet, <laughs> think they're all right. And we're not in that condition at all. We know what's coming, and, and uh, we have the most wonderful future of any person on the world. I feel sorry for people who don't have the truth. They, they think they're going to have them when they die. It does give them comfort. Even, even lies do give you comfort. And it's, it's sad. These, these guys who strap bombs on themselves and walk around and go, poop, they must be sincere. <laughs> sure, sincerely wrong. But you see, we have to be more than sincere. That's why we feel doctrine is so important. We must be sincere, yes, but we must be correct as well as being sincere but once you are have the truth then do be sincere and get enthused about it we ought to be happy about the, tr the truth you know what the word enthusiasm comes from it's two greek words christ adelphia is the word christ and the word adelphia christ brother enthusiasm comes from two greek words the word en which is the word in for us and the word theos as you all know theos is a word for god in greek in theos, enthusiasm. So when you're enthusiastic for God, you've got God in you. That's what the word says. Of course, some people in the world are enthusiastic about the wrong things. But that's their problem, not ours. So, where there is no vision, the people perish. So, brethren and sisters, I want each of you to get your own personal vision of the kingdom. Uh, not now, don't close your eyes now, you may go to sleep on me. <laughs> but, 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 but imagine what it will be like. 
And, and it's, it's a personal vision, and you don't have to share it with anyone else. Your vision may be different than someone else's. But the point is, make it real to you that what it will be like to, have, to be in the kingdom. And, and so this wonderful body that we've been created, we were wonderfully and fearfully made, we were given an imagination. Now, just like all the things that God has given us, they can be used for good, and they can be used for evil. And all the people in the world have imaginations. And sadly, the people in the world misuse their imagination and imagine wrong things. We know that's true because back in Genesis, God saw the wickedness of man that was very great. <clears throat> that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. It's getting like that today. It's pretty bad right now. The world has imaginations that are really bad. Not that it's bad to have imagination, it's bad what they imagine with their imaginations. So you can use your imagination sitting in your own lounge in your most comfortable chair and soar into the great heights and be transfigured in your own mind to the kingdom or you can sit there and sin exceedingly sinful things. And so Jesus warned us about this. He says to us in Matthew 5, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, see, they were condemning the act. Jesus said, I want to make it stronger than that. I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, that's a warning that we have to take to heart. Now, if you notice a pretty girl, and you notice she's pretty, you have not sinned. The sin takes place when you contemplate and begin to imagine uh, erotic thoughts that not, not be head. So, you, you can push the thought out by pushing it out with a good thought. Now, any of you say, I've never had a bad thought in my life, I know you'll tell other lies too. <laughs> We have all thought things we ought not thought. But if you don't allow it, I, they say you can't stop the birds from landing on your head, but you can keep them from building a nest there. <laughs> if you could just think of a thought as a bird, they land on your head and you just knock them off, knock them off. Now, now the Lord Jesus had thoughts that he knew he shouldn't think. He actually said, let this cup pass from me. No, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So the thought got there, but he immediately took it away. <clears throat> so, so you can't think two things at the same time. That's impossible. You, you just cannot think two things at the same time. So when you're thinking one thing, you're not thinking of something else. So when you think a thought you ought not think, think a thought you should think, and that thought you shouldn't think is gone. Does that make sense? So if a pretty girl walks by, oh, she's cute, isn't she? I have a verse. It's all ready. There is no temptation taken me, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow me to uh, be tempted without that which I am able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that I can bear. I, got that, I can say it like my name, you know. And while I'm saying that verse, she's out of my mind. She's gone. Here she comes again. There is no temptation taken me. <laughs> so the way to get rid of thoughts you don't want is to have a thought you do want that you can immediately plug in 
And while it's in, the other thought's gone. And if you do that over and over, the thoughts, you, you could conquer your thinking. Certainly the Lord Jesus did that. He's teaching us to do the same thing. And so, back in the days of Noah, and Jesus says it's going to be like that when he comes back. And I think it's pretty close to being like that right now. Their imagination was always evil. And so, we've got to make sure that this imagination, this gift of God, is used in the right way and for the right things. So how vivid is your vision of the kingdom? <laughs> I, you have to work at this. You, 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 could, you train your imagination to think what you want to think. And so it, we're spending this entire week trying to see Jesus. Now since he's not here, the only possible way we can see him is by imagining him in our mind. But if we don't know what he was like, we don't know what to imagine. So our scriptures help us to get a picture of him that we can then turn into our personal vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his, in his glory. So as Jesus was facing the cross, he didn't want to die on that cross. He, he knew how terrible it would be. Unfortunately, he knew what was going to happen. I wouldn't say unfortunately, but... He, he saw into the future and he knew. Uh, I, some of the trials I've had in my life, I, after I'm over and it's behind me, I thought, I'm sure glad I didn't know that was going to happen. But, but he knew it was going to happen. So his trial was even more severe than any I've ever had because he knew before it happened what was going to happen and then it happened. But uh, as he's contemplating it, he thought, Father, is there any way I can get out of this? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, what did he do? He thought a thought he shouldn't think. He immediately pushed the thought he shouldn't think out with the thought he should think. He was doing the very same thing he's trying to teach us to do. So don't say, I never think a bad thought. That's human. But, but it, unless you embellish it and meditate upon it, the, the first thought is not the sin. Jesus did not sin. He never sinned. So he certainly didn't sin when he said, let this cup pass from me. He just was wishing, oh, I wish I didn't have to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So he immediately, you see, he, he knocked the bird off right off his hand. He didn't, he didn't uh, contemplate, how can I get out of it? No, no. He actually was talking to God, let this cup pass from me. It was a terrible thing that he was facing, and he knew it. And he didn't sin. But he did think the thought that he didn't want to do, have it happen, and that's... That's only normal. I mean, that's certainly, we don't blame him for that at all. But we do commend him and admire him that he was so easily, so quickly pushed that thought away with the thought, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so seeing Jesus in our mind's eye helps us to overcome the trials, the temptations, and the things which we face as mortals waiting for him to come. And so Paul described our present condition by saying, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And again, Paul 
light affliction was heavier than anything you and I have borne. None of us have ever been stoned. We've not been beaten. We have not been shipwrecked. A lot of things Paul went through, you and I have never endured. He says, it's just a light affliction. It just endures for a moment. <laughs> how, how long was the moment that Paul was talking about? It was his entire life. His whole life, once he became a brother of Christ, was affliction. He was being persecuted even there in Damascus. He had to be let down by, in a basket over the wall. They were out to kill him. So he tells you of some of the light afflictions he went through. You know these. Yeah, just stirring up your pure mind. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. See, the law of Moses says you can only beat a man 40 times. So the Jews are so merciful. They only did it 39. Wasn't that kind of them. But they wanted to make sure they didn't miscount and do 41, you see. So that's why they did 39 stripes, because they didn't want to be, make an error of going over 40. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now, that, that's with the Romans. <laughs> they didn't have any limit. It was the Jews had 40 stripes as a limit, not the, not the, not the, not, not the Romans. Uh, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. You know, we have no record of that. We, we know about the shipwreck that we, it's recorded for us in the book of Acts. But we have no record of him floating around in the ocean for a day and a half. But it was another shipwreck. So he went through lots of things that we don't even know about. Uh, and journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils of the city, perils of the wilderness, perils of the sea, perils among false brethren. Oh, he had it tough. In weariness and toil, sleeplessness, hungry, thirsty, cold, naked. <laughs> Those are just light afflictions. They only last for a minute. They lasted all his life. Was he complaining? Not at all. Are we complaining? Sometimes we do. We see, we, we don't want to complain. Uh, the children of Israel displeased God because they kept complaining. So let's, let's accept what's happening in our life as a gift from God, even though you think it's not so nice, because your life is in God's hands. And, and so, therefore, nothing can happen to you without God knowing it. Not even a sparrow can fall to the ground, said the Lord Jesus, without his Father knowing it. He says, your life is a much more valuable than many sparrows. So, whatever trial we're going through, this vision we have of the kingdom will help us to, to get through it, to bear it, and to look forward to that instead of what's going on at the moment in our life. Inspired writer of the Hebrews says uh, concerning problems, and he was sure right when he says, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. It hurts. You, no, you can't say, I enjoy a trial, but when you realize it's for your benefit, you can accept it the way God wants us to. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. And so, we have to overcome. But you have to have something to overcome or you can't overcome. You ever think about that? It's impossible to overcome something that isn't there. Now, I, I like to use a story. I've done it in Australia before, so if you heard it before, I'll forgive. please forgive me. I want to hear it again. You had the Olympics in Sydney not too many years ago, and one of the big events is the high hurdle race. 
In the high hurdle race, they put up hurdles in the lanes. And the, the runners have to jump over the hurdles to get to the finish line in order to win. If you don't have a hurdle in your lane, you can't win. <laughs> if you don't have hurdles in your life, you can't win. So instead of a runner saying, oh, those hurdles, they're so hard to jump over, they thank the people for putting them there. Because without them, they can't be a champion. And if you'll just think of the problems in your life as a hurdle that God has lovingly put in your path so you can jump over it on your way to the kingdom, you no longer resent the hurdles. You say, this is the way God wants me to endure until the end. And so Jesus, just before he's going to be killed, he's cheering up the people who were kind of in oblivious to what was going on. He kept telling them. But what were they doing? They were squabbling among themselves. Who of them should be the greatest? And he's preparing to die. And so that beautiful speech that Jesus gave to the eleven, Judas has now gone to do his dastardly deed. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, you've read those words many times. But, but do they sink in? God, through Jesus, is saying to you, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. You're going to have hurdles. You're going to have temptation. You're going to have sickness. You're going to have all kinds of horrible things happen to you. Be of cheer. Cheer up. Why? He says, I've overcome the world. And you can too. And the good news is God won't ever give you a hurdle that you can't jump over. He won't ever give you a problem that you can't get past. It, it will slow, slow you down maybe, but it won't stop you. you. You have to keep on keeping on. And so Jesus is actually saying, cheer up because you're going to have trouble. So, so the, the bottom line is that you and I need to begin to thank God for our troubles. Do you do that in your prayer? When you're sick, when you're lying in a hospital bed, you know, there's not much you can do. You can't even hardly move. But you can sure pray. And you can pray to your Heavenly Father, and He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And He will bring you through if it's His will. If it's His will that you fall asleep, that's okay. He giveth his beloved sleep. Nobody has ever gotten out of this life alive. <laughs> Nobody ever, not even the Lord Jesus. So if Christ doesn't come soon, none of us who are here today will be here. In another hundred years, we'll all be gone. I, know, I can't picture the Lord being away that much longer. In fact, I'm wondering why he hasn't come already. <laughs> I'm so excited about his, his return. I'm just anxiously waiting. But when you have troubles, it helps you want him more. And when things are going really well, you think, wow, this, this, is, this life's pretty much fun. And you may not desire him with that fervent desire that we all should have. And so trouble is a very good thing for us to have. Instead of looking at it as a calamity and a disaster, 
Let's thank God for our troubles. And let's have this vision of the kingdom that as we're suffering, whatever the problem might be, we're thinking kingdom who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. And so we want to follow Jesus and that's why we're trying to get to see him so that we can be more like him. So, so take your Bibles out and read about the kingdom in all the places which it's recorded. And there's lots of them. Isaiah is full of them. Certainly the book of Revelation has them. We, we have the, the think about the lion and the lamb. We think, think about the crops, the, the reapers, uh, overtaking the reapers. Think about singing in the kingdom. We're going to have a whole evening about singing. It's going to be a happy evening. Wonderful. Think, think about the temple. Brother Sully's book. Pick, make your own picture of the temple. But, but imagine walking down the streets of Jerusalem and walking into that temple. Uh, th think how wonderful it will be that the mortal population will live such a long time. A, a person that dies as a hundred of me think they're only a child. My wife's father died just a few weeks short of 102. And we thought he was old. <laughs> and he wanted to die so much. He really wanted to fall asleep. He, he lived a full life and he kept telling me. I'd go to see him every night. I mean, he lived in our house. I mean, I'd go back to his room and say, good night, granddad. We called him. And he said, I'm going to die tonight. And I said, no, granddad, you're fine. You're going to be all right. And then I tried to talk him out of it. But I thought, you know, one of these nights he's going to be right. <laughs> He was 102, I mean, so, but, but did you ever think about poor Methuselah? <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you think Methuselah lived a long time? Did you know that Methuselah did not even live to see Monday morning? Let me explain that. Peter says that a thousand years is like one day to God. Now, he lived 969 years. So he was dead before Monday morning. If he was born... <laughs> It was born 12.01 a.m. on Sunday morning. Monday morning he was dead. Now, now Noah, at noon, it's, it's 500 years. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought about how long you've lived? <laughs> well, if you're 62 years old, you've only you lived an hour and a half. <laughs> so, so, so you see, we're a bunch of youngins <laughs> from God's viewpoint. But you see... Time is for humans and for mortals, but not for God. But can, can you imagine this? <laughs> this blows me away, but I know it's true. So I try to visualize it in my, in my vision of the kingdom. Living forever and ever 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 and ever. And being happy, 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 happy all the time. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. And, and, and you would let something in this life come between you and that? How short-sighted can we get? Because God wants us in his kingdom. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Concerning. Uh, but there's long suffering to us. And not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want you to perish. He, he, he gave his son. So you won't perish. So you will live forever. And then we let little things in this life. Little problems. Keep us away from the meeting. Keep us away from the Lord. Keep us away from the truth. Stop us from doing our Bible readings. When people leave the truth, the first thing they do is stop reading, doing the Bible readings. You talk to someone who's, who's not been to meeting for a while, just ask them, are you doing Bible readings? And uh, almost always they say no. But I, I had a sister who had left the truth. She, 
She came in from outside. She and her husband came to our house once a week. And I was on my way to Australia. And then they said they wanted to come twice a week. And I'm trying to get ready to come over here. But we, they, they came twice a week. And they were both baptized. And he fell asleep. And she left the truth. And she came in to see me in the office one day. And uh, I says, uh, her name was Mary. Mary, are you doing the Bible readings? She says, no, but she's I praying all the time. Oh, I pray and I pray. I didn't quote Solomon to her, but you know what Solomon said. If you don't do your Bible readings, don't bother to pray. Did you know that Solomon said that? Now, that's a very loose translation. <laughs> Solomon said, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even as a prayer, is an abomination. But the point is that God wants you to pray, but he wants you to read his word. And have you ever been around somebody who wants to do all the time? Blah, 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 blah. And never, never get, you, you can't hardly get in a word edgewise? Well, there's people like that with God. They want to do all the talking, but they never listen to God talk to them. So when you open this book, God speaks. He does want you to pray, but he wants to talk to you first. And so it's so important that we never fail to read our Bible every day. You don't have to use a Bible companion, but I think it's the best way, personally. But the point is, if you're not reading your Bible, we're being warned, God won't listen to you. And we do want him to hear us. We know that he does hear prayer. And we're thankful that we are his children. And we're visualizing this kingdom, which I have not seen or heard. It's, it's so marvelous. We've got the greatest future in the world. And don't let anybody or anything get in the way between you and, and, the, and the kingdom. And, and you only have to do it for a, it's just a light affliction you got. I don't care what your problem is, severe light affliction. It only lasts for a moment. That's just your life. But compare your short life, which is very short, to eternity with Jesus in the kingdom. And it's so wonderful that you can't even imagine it's so great. And, and he wants you there, and he gave you a son so you could be there. And we let something get in our way? Oh, don't let it happen, brothers and sisters. That's why we're spending this week on We Would See Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you want to be with him. And the good news, he wants you to be with him too. And so he's, he's going to say, when he comes, to those who put him first in their life. You know, you can't, he can't be second. He won't play second fiddle in your life. If, if Jesus is second or third or fourth, he's in the wrong place. First, Jesus used to be about fifth, but now he's third. Well, you're going the right direction, but you're not there yet. He's got to be number one in your life. And if he isn't, get him there. And he's coming soon. He's going, what's to say to you? He wants to say to me, come, come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.